this is the space to say the wrong thing because we'll correct you so that when you go on outside of this group, you know not to say it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And we know you don't mean harm by it. And that's what I have to teach everyone too. When someone says something to you, that's a teaching moment because a lot of times it's not done in malice. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here in studio today with Matt Colicello, who is stepping in for Chloe Goodry-Reed. And in today's episode, we're joined by Teresa Schroeder and Michonne Sawyer. Teresa is the Vice President of Community and Citizenship at Turner Construction Company, where she drives community outreach and Turner Construction's brand visibility through effective corporate giving and employee volunteer efforts. Teresa is a seasoned professional in diversity inclusion, supplier diversity, corporate social responsibility, business development, and employee resource groups. Michonne is the East Region Supplier Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Manager at J.E. Dunn Construction and is a committed, passionate diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. Ladies, welcome to the show with Matt and I today. It's so great to have you in studio with us this morning. That's great to be here. Excellent. Awesome to be here. Looking forward to it. Great Yay. to meet you both. You both come from different companies and professional backgrounds, but you share a similarity, right, of working in the construction industry. Uh, Tell us a bit about your respective backgrounds and companies and then what your corporations are are currently doing in that uh, supplier diversity and DE&I space. I think construction is one of those areas where DE&I and supplier diversity takes on a really interesting kind of flavor with the way that you guys work with contractors, general contractors, specialists, that type of thing. I know I've had to learn a lot in that space, not having come from construction myself. So can't wait to hear about what you guys have to say on that. Now about a Michonne, because she's got such an incredible background being an attorney and being in the space. So yeah, <laughs> I was going to let you start off. Okay, <laughs> well, I am, I'm with J.E. Dunn Construction. I've joined J.E. Dunn about a year ago, loving working directly for a construction company. Um, a bit about my background, um, I started life as a United States Senate aide mm, um, okay. out of out of out of college, um, went from there to law school and litigated for a few years, um, and then started working in um, planning, development, putting deals together, focusing on urban planning, and that kind of got me into the DEI space um, about 20, 20 years ago, maybe. Okay. Okay. 
And um, so what I was doing, I was working as a consultant and that gave me a really good, I think, foundation for what I'm doing now for JE Dunn um, because I got to work for most of the major contractors. I worked for developers and um, my sweet spot was high profile projects. Okay. Mm. So prior to coming here, I was the selected DE&I strategist, um, consultant for the Obama Foundation, for the Obama Presidential Center. And in Chicago, I got to say... um, love to, to my other city, but I grew up here in Atlanta, but I spent the, I, I honed my trade, I will argue, in Chicago. Gotcha. Um, it's a remarkable city, robust, with a lot of very wonderful and passionate people. Um, so I learned, um, and the law degree, like Teresa said, comes in handy. Um, so I was able to influence local policy, put together strategies for long-term programs, and figure out how we make a huge impact, not only in supplier diversity, but workforce diversity. Mm-hmm, right. and, and also figuring out how we get all these, the, the team to as a, as a group to work together. So making sure that the, the local community and the grassroots organizations and residents weren't left out of the picture, working with the governmental entities to make sure that their concerns for their constituents were being met. And then then making sure that as a developer or a contractor, whatever my role was on that, that we were all getting what we were looking for out of the projects too. So bringing everybody together, that's what we do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. I love it. And that's interesting with the law background coming into this space, right? So before we move over to Teresa real fast, how do you think that law degrees kind of helped you in maneuver this space, right? So I see a lot of different people come into DEI. Supplier diversity is kind of really where I've spent the last 10 years of my life. Okay. And, you know, so I came from a, a sourcing negotiations background into supplier diversity. And I have found, especially working with my small businesses, having that background in contract negotiations has been ever so helpful in just talking with them, setting expectations. How do you feel laws kind of help set you up for success in that? It's been great. Like you said, having the the background and being able to write a contract, understand it, negotiate mm-hmm. memorandums of understanding with the different local organizations that we're working yeah. with. And here at JE Dunn, my role is also inward facing. So figuring out not only are we recruiting for our our staff, our jobs, but we're also figuring out how we retain those employees. And a part of that is how do I navigate the legalities of that? What Mm -hmm. I can do. And that's that's honestly ever changing. So as we're engaging, um, one of the fun things that I got to do in Chicago was actually help push ordinances and and laws and things in place. Mm. Now, I didn't always get there, not always happening. I have one that I think is still lingering in a committee somewhere to expand our roles and requirements for workforce diversity. Okay. Because that's one of the things I'm really passionate about. I want Make sure we've got these big organizations and companies coming into our communities, um, but we're out of work or underemployed with a lot of the situation. So what do we do? So my thing is, if you're coming into my neighborhood and you want to be a part of my community, Mm -hmm. I want you to what's in it for me? What am I right? Um, and and I think as a good neighbor, give a little bit back. So right. bring in some job training, work with the students to talk about um, teaching them how to be financially responsible. Let's go into these communities and educate them about getting a bank account instead of going to the currency exchange. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, let's educate our, our um, people in the underserved communities um, and get them exposure and jobs. Right. And, and, and let's just say it. 
a living wage. Agreed. Um, yeah. And I mean, so so I think a lot of that I'm able to help think about policies for that. I'm able to get to the table, sit down in the room with these owners and developers and say, yep. hey, and most of the time you really want to do it. I, I spent the day yesterday with Jamestown, which is a client of ours of J.E. Dunn, figuring mm-hmm. out how they can make a good big impact on their projects as they come into the community. And they're excited about it. They're eager. They're just like, what can we do? Yeah. And it's, it is. Everything that you're saying is, it's interesting to me because we were coming into this conversation and speaking with Chloe beforehand about how DEI and supplier diversity in the construction industry kind of sits at the nexus of city planning and policy. It does. um, Mm -hmm. And community organizing. I mean, what you're talking about is also community organizing and stakeholder relationship building, being able to get all of these different parties at the table and say, here's how we need to create a reciprocal, a truly reciprocal relationship if you're going to enter this space. So, wow. Wow. It's really excited to have you have you on and to have your perspective in this conversation. Oh, thanks. I love that. So, Teresa, you may have thrown Michonne under the go first bus, but that doesn't mean, we're, we're, doesn't mean we're going to ignore you on this question <laughs> either. Um, exactly. And you have to remember, I've known Teresa, I think, ever since I started in supplier diversity. I think one of my very first events was a GMPC um, matchmaking or Shark Tank event at uh, your old place of employment. Mm-hmm. So, that was a long time ago. I actually was. I, I was with Turner. It was just in yes. a, a different location. But yes, that's right. That's right. It was a different, not different employer, right? A different office. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So that was. Yeah. It's been a long time. I've been with Turner for 18 years. 18 years. But that's fantastic. My path here different. That's why I, you know, I'm, I I came in a little more flash and dash. Okay. Okay. Let's hear the flash. I like that. I was in advertising and marketing for okay. brands like Jello, um, Kool-Aid, Tang, uh, Light and Lively. I worked for mm. an advertising agency outside of New York City. Um, okay. I grew up in the Northeast. One of my charges was diversity in consumer goods. So I worked on campaigns with Bill Cosby and other minority stars at the time. Like I did ad campaigns for Jet Magazine, Ebony Magazine, that kind of stuff. So definitely different, but a focus on making sure that there was representation in advertising that we were doing. Um, It was, you know, I don't want to age myself, but it was at the time when the Cosby show was huge and people had a a whole different perspective of Black families and, you know, companies wanting to tap into that wealth, um, knowing that, you know, uh, diverse communities, there there was money and that was a a stream of revenue that they really should advertise toward. That's where um, I got my start in that, that DE&I space, my background was writing, um, communications, writing, and that actually led me into construction, which is like totally weird. Um, But I got to a point where, again, I'm aging myself. We actually went and shot these ads at exotic locations and we just didn't do everything computerized. And I had settled down and had my first child and flying all over the world to shoot an ad was no longer exciting to me. And I was looking for something different. And I saw that there was an opportunity to uh, write proposals and position because that's what we do and advertise ourselves for clients. 
and being able to verbalize our commitment to supplier diversity and in this industry, it's no different than any other. There's some different challenges, but that's kind of how I fell into supplier diversity. I mean, Turner's had a program since 1969. No, I'm here at the start of that. (laughs) Um, But we have, we have had a Turner school um, since 1969 was the first. And it was when we realized then what the way the world was, you know, that was civil rights and everything going on. And um, we knew in order for our company to thrive, that we had to be inclusive. Right. Um, And that's when the program started, because we truly wanted to reflect the communities we're building in. And as Michonne said, we had to be good corporate citizens. So we were going to be accepted. And so doing that by making opportunities um, for minority businesses that, you know, that's that's how we grew our supplier diversity program. That is just fantastic. And we talk about two totally different entrance points into supplier diversity, right? That is that is amazing. But I think it also speaks to in the supplier diversity or DEI space, we don't need to keep thinking that it's just HR professionals that we need to bring into that, yeah. right? And I, I think that's a trap that a lot of us fall into is, oh, well, this person has an HR degree. Uh, you know, they've kind of been in the HR system. Let's move them up. That makes, you know, that's kind of that normal progression, if you if you will. But I think there's a lot of value in the diversity of experience to bring into DEI to bring in those extra lenses, that more 360 view, to understand the difference of experience and how experience diversity really helps grow out a team and really bring some thought leadership and and really innovation into the space, right? Yeah. I think agree. Yeah, and I you. think I think there should be a complete line, a tunnel, a ditch between HR <laughs> and DE and I. Yes, yes. If we had a if we had a collection plate, we'd be passing it right now. So keep going. <laughs> right. No, Teresa is exactly right about that because sometimes there is a division. Mm-hmm. Because it's it, and I have to walk that line daily here um, sure. because my role is facing internally as well. Right. And so at the end of the day, I see my role as an advocate. Right. Right. And HR's responsibility is to make sure that our employees are doing well and being treated fairly, but it's also to protect the company. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. so you get those kind of diverging in- interest. And and um, so, no, it's an interesting dialogue. So I find like for me, if if DE&I is working the way it's supposed to, it's interwoven throughout the companies. Right. From top to bottom in everything we do from our, as like Teresa said, marketing is crucial sure. there to be yeah. a DNI um, thing because she brings that to the table like a rock star. Mm-hmm. Now I understand why she's always so like, <laughs> <laughs> no, because she she always, um, Teresa helped bring me here to J.E. Dunn. Okay. I don't know that, but Teresa was my conduit. She was the one that told me that this was up. Ah. Um, so her, um, her reach is long. Yes. Um, she, yes. She's she's in the mix. And but a lot of us DEI professionals, we work together. We talk yep. to each other. We figure out how we maximize because at the end of the day, those of us like Teresa and I who have been at this game for so very long and so many years and are passionate about it, we're always talking about best practices. Mm-hmm. Right. What, right. what right. did you do here? What do we do there? 
And one thing that I know I am working with at J.E. Dunn is trying to make sure, like, I stick my foot in the room Mm -hmm. whenever I can. So I'm sitting at the table with our procurement teams, making sure we integrated um, our employee resource groups. We have an employee resource group for for African-Americans and for women right now. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get people to want more, but we're helping. We let people in the company ask for them. Oh, cool. (laughs) Um, So the build, the African-American one, we also make sure because there's no other organization right now in our company for people of color, we loop everybody in. (laughs) Yeah, and that's great. Right. That's that's one of the driving, the point of the ERGs is really for there to be a sense of community, but also for those outside of that group to understand and to build a connection. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not to isolate. So that's what I'm always focusing on my ERGs. I'm like, okay, that's great. You all meet and you talk about your grievances and what you have, but you have to invite those outside of, because they need to understand the sense of community and why you exist. There you go. And and what your pressure points are. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we can't, um, and and Teresa's a hundred percent on that. We can't impact change Mm -hmm. if we don't talk about what the problems are. Right. Right. How many, um, I was talking to somebody just yesterday about the good guy effect. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, how much behavior do we excuse from people? Because, Mm -hmm. well, you know. He's a good guy. guy. He didn't mean anything Mm -hmm. about that. You know, and and sometimes, yeah, he is a good guy and he's just a little inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But what I find is sometimes, well, not really, not so much. (laughs) Right, right, right. Just inappropriate. And the thing is, is if he's a good guy and he's being inappropriate, everyone in the room, if you see something, say something. Right. Right. And and don't always put the onus on African-Americans shouldn't always be the ones to talk about, oh, my God, that was a racist comment. Right. Women shouldn't always be the ones to say that was not that made me uncomfortable. The woman. Um, And and so I think as our ERGs get more more. I guess in inward focusing, right. we've started we've started actually integrating our HR process for recruitment. Mm. So what we do is right now we are having I've got training sessions set up where we train our teams how to interview and how to teach the kids, some of the young students that are in colleges, how to go through an interview. But a part of that is making sure that for every person of color, every woman there's at least one woman or person of color in the room. Nice. Mm. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Nice. For every interview, because what happens is we see things in a different, through a different lens. Oh yeah, sure. And, and so we have, I mean, like hypothetically, you've got a, you've got two students and one of them has like a 3.9 GPA and the Mm. other one's got a 3.6 and it's like, OK, well, you know, oh, God, that three point nine guy, he's got almost four point oh. He's a rock star. Right. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's got a three point six, but he's working two jobs to pay his right. way to school. Right. Well, and there's the unconscious biases that we're not aware of. And yes. when you have diversity in the room, you can, again, be empathetic, understand. Right. But and like, you know, Michelle was saying, I think. It's not just the African-American in the room that says that's inappropriate when there's a sense of education and an understanding about what's right and wrong for the different cultures in your organization. Mm -hmm. Then you have that awareness. So then, you know, that comment was not right Mm because it didn't sit right with you because now you understand. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is essentially about creating a culture of accountability, right? Mm -hmm. And then what I'm hearing you say, Michonne, is that you're working on making that culture of accountability begin from the interview with potential candidates. Yeah, yeah. And Um, I think it means something. Does. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. And that cultural, yeah. that culture of accountability has to include, must include men and white people in the organization. Mm-hmm. It's got to. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's it's the only to. way we have the culture. There's still the majority. Need. There's yeah. still the majority. And quite honestly, we need to know how you're thinking too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we, that's something every, the, the whole thing about diversity is that everybody's opinion matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. We want, yes. And, and we want, we, I, and for me, I want all the white guys that J.E. done to feel just as comfortable saying, I'm not comfortable with that. Ooh, right. that makes me feel bad. Or mm-hmm. I feel like I'm being singled out. <laughs> That's okay. Right. I, and I love it. Because I exactly. have so many yeah. leaders that have said, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Exactly. Yes, I and I love that. All the time. Yes. Yeah. But it and also you know, means that you've created an environment, Teresa, that allows them to share that with you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and that's what I said. Well, you know what? This is the space to say the wrong thing because we'll correct you so that when you go on outside of this group, you know not to say it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know you don't mean harm by it. And that's what yeah. I have to teach everyone too. when someone says something to you. That's a teaching moment because yep. a lot of times it's not done in malice. It's done because right. that's the way they've always done it. They didn't right. know it was incorrect. If they do it again. Then you've got a problem. Yeah. Well, After yeah. You've had exactly. the conversation, but you can, we can't expect people right. to like it. I mean, no, I had thank a teaching you. moment. Yeah. The other day, I just got to share this one. It, it, it was a guy came to me and he goes, um, We were talking about diversifying our workforce. You know, like mm-hmm. we've got to be intentional about it. And he goes, Well, I'm colorblind. And I'm like, uh, No, I don't want you to be colorblind. I want you to see every color that's mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I mm-hmm. need to focus. And he was like, and he, for him, he thought saying he was colorblind. Right. Was like, I'm not a racist. And I That's said, right. yeah. And I let him know. I'm like, I don't think you're racist at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, and it's because I believe that you're not, I'm going to have this conversation with you. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I had a, I had a mentor once. She was a black female. We're standing up, giving us a, a speech and she goes, now tell me something that's different between Adam and I. And, you know, they, listed all sorts of things like he's taller, you're shorter, those type of things. She goes, you all miss that. He's a guy. I'm a girl. He's white. I'm black. She's like, come on, folks. That's a difference. People are afraid. Yeah. Afraid yeah, to they're call afraid it. To say afraid it. To right? afraid to out. They're afraid to say it. The other great thing happened. We were in a meeting one time and she goes, so, so take Adam, a strong black male. And everybody turns around and looks at me and goes, well, I was like, well, that's how I identify. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> love that. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's I, I love like you had that teaching moment, Michonne. I love those other moments where, where leaders will stand up and go, it's OK to say guy, girl or, or whatever, you know, whatever sex that the person has is, 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 you know, representing or black, white, brown. You know, we have to realize that it's not racist to call out an obvious difference between us. Right. Right. It's when we start making suppositions on those observations. Yes. That's the issue. <laughs> And let's get comfortable with it. Let's mm-hmm. get comfortable with it. Let's have the conversation. You know, I have let's a lot have of people. Let's have the conversation. I do a lot of work in the Asian community, um, just where my circles run, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are very wide differences between Eastern and Western culture. There just, there really is. Huge. Yeah. Huge. 
But I have found out and have really enjoyed, people love sharing their culture with you. If you just ask a respectful question like, that is an interesting piece of jewelry. That is an interesting dress. That is an interesting dance, saying, expression, Mm -hmm. um, holiday. Please explain to me the origins. Explain to me why it's important here. They will, hours, you'll probably get more Mm -hmm. information than you wanted, but they love to share. And I think that's what we have to remember between the different cultures. People love to share. Just ask the question. And if you're trying to truly learn, People will pick up on it. Well, right? I, I took a no... cultural mastery class and it yes. says that people connect on like six things. And it's like music, food, language, yep. history, sports. Um, and I can't for, I can't remember the last one, but yep. it's like those those are the things. And if you can just hit on one of those, then you, yep. then that conversation can flow and you can start yeah. that connection. It's and it's about fantastic. giving people that. It's about it. And it's, you know, and I think we've gotten so ingrained in our country thinking about assimilation Mm, and it's not about assimilation. We need to be not a melting pot, but a salad. There you go. Mm. Oh, I like that analogy way better. Where everybody, every little ingredient can stand on its own or Mm -hmm. and be more powerful. Yep. together. I don't yep. have mm-hmm. to be like you for us to be great. No, no. I don't have to. In fact, I might make us all better because we're looking at things differently Exactly. You from a different background, people from ec- economic differences, mm-hmm. gender preferences, all of that. We need to all just love each other for who we are and get to know each other. Oh, I love that. I do it, think for white people, there's a specific process that needs to happen though, of not just being humble enough to admit a mistake or to hear someone call you out, but also to kind of do a deep reflection process on how the trauma that people who look like you have created mm-hmm. continues to live in you, continues to live in your culture, and how without you even realizing it, you can replicate it, even while thinking you're not a racist person. Mm-hmm. And I think that that process that white people have to do deeply for themselves and then systemically, I don't think in our culture yet, we are really, we've figured out how to do that work because it it's hard work. And um, I don't know if we necessarily have the cultural tools or the like psychology infrastructure <laughs> to, to really do that work well. Um, but I'm really interested in seeing us do that on a, on a large scale. It's uncomfortable. And, and, and I is. mean, let's acknowledge, but no, for as speaking as an African-American, we don't blame all white people for the fact that our people were enslaved. Right, I, right, right. But what I do want is for everyone to acknowledge that you had certain advantages right. that I never got. And it's a right. perception. And it's it's something I said to, we had an one of these conversations yesterday with a young Black woman who grew up in the Gullah Geechee. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the low country, right? Yeah. And so, and and there were there was a white woman, one of my friends in the room too. But because I see her as a friend, I'm like, we're going to have this conversation and you mm-hmm. can stay. We can be, you. I want you to contribute to it. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of, what we were talking about, I said to her, the white woman, I said, when you walk in the room, you pretty much have to prove that you that that you don't belong. Mm-hmm. And I said, when I walk in the room, the presumption is I've got to show my pedigree to, to, to prove right. that I belong in the room. And I said, right. so the perception goes both ways. Your perception is like, oh, yeah, she's smart. She belongs in the room. For me, it's like, oh, wow, she's articulate. And I'm like, well, yes, I'm a litigator. I, you know, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> right. I, yeah. 
just maybe I can string a few sentences together. Right. So that right. shouldn't be, that's not a compliment to me. Ooh. That's meaning like you didn't think I I could when yeah. I walked in the room. Right. Just mm. That one hits me. Ooh. Yeah. That one hits us all. Yeah, that one hits me hard. Yeah. <laughs> but we have wow. to explain it. And once I explained it to mm. my to my to my friend, she was like, Wow, never thought about that way. She goes, yeah. I we thought, you know, I thought that was a compliment. And I said, yeah, most white people do, but they don't understand. It's different right. for us. I walk into a room and have three white men looking at me and asking me when the lawyer is going to get here because they yeah. assume I'm the court reporter. I don't have any court reporting equipment <laughs> with me. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's funny like that, right? And so then mm-hmm. I've seen it, I've experienced it in the reverse in the supplier diversity realm, right? Mm-hmm. So being being a white male, Everybody assumes that I was just the kind of the guy brought along to be part of the the entire thing, right? And I sat down at a table. This is very early in my supplier diversity career. I'm very excited about being there. And I'm, I'm sitting at the table and I, and I have three black women sit at the table too. And we're having some small talk, that type of thing. They say, so when's the supplier diversity manager showing up? And I'm like, he's here. Right. Hello. You know? And that's yes, another like, thing is right people, people not yeah. understanding that someone other than you can be an advocate for you and be powerful advocate exactly. for you. Exactly. 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 Yes. And it's all about what you feel and how you believe and how passionate you are about what you're doing. Right. Not the color of your skin. Right. Right. Exactly. No one knows where you grew up. Nobody what you went through. That's right. No. What your background is. Nope. No one knows. And sometimes the messaging comes, if it comes in a different package, it can be received very differently. You know, yes. an amazing yes. point. My my mentor said that to me as I was taking over another, another position. She pulls me aside and she goes, Adam, you've got to remember something as a white male you're going to be able to deliver this messages in places I can't. And you need to use that ability to help move the message forward. That has stuck with me for a decade now after I heard that sentence. But you're right. It, it's totally true, right? I'm going to have the ability to put the message someplace that, that you ladies just can't because of the unconscious biases that we have. So we have right. to build allies of all colors, mm-hmm. all genders, all persuasions, so that the message can get to all the corners. It's a salad, but our mutual aspiration is the dressing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. There you go. There you go, Matt. Way to tie it all together. There you go. So I I do want us to talk about, and Chloe, Chloe and I had this conversation this morning where she was like, I have all these questions for the ladies. (laughs) So I do want to make sure that we also get to some of those specific questions about how you're doing supplier diversity and DEI in the construction industry with diverse suppliers specifically. Um, even though this is like my, my, one of my favorite topics of conversation that we're on right now. And I, and I want, I want to continue and it's all connected of course, but, it is. um, I wanted to ask, cause, um, Teresa, you mentioned some of the specific, you said it's all the same across industries. Um, the goals are essentially the same, but there are some specific challenges and specific strategies within the construction world. Can you both talk about those specific strategies? And I'm thinking like both pipeline, like supplier development, how are you working with suppliers to, in some cases, get them ready to do work, capital intensive work up the scale that construction companies work? How are you working with municipalities and and legislation at the local level uh, when you're doing a big construction project and the kind of legislation there might be around diverse suppliers. Really, really interested in how you're navigating those both internally and externally with all the different stakeholders. Well, I'll say that supplier diversity in the construction space has 
changed a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh, when I first got in the industry, the focus was basically on public work, publicly funded airports, loss funded, things like that, where that money, there was what we used to call set-asides for a diverse group of firms to make sure that there was inclusion. Now you see private clients understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about the pipeline, uh, and I'll, I'll base this specifically in Atlanta, there's a small group of firms that we're all pulling from. So right. growing, it, it it is now very competitive for that prime tier market of, of minority firms and then growing that second tier. And, when we, and the reason I think second tier has to exist is because that's kind of the economic growth or churn for, right. for minority firms because they there are barriers for them as far as financial and bonding and insurance and yes. all of that. So having programs in place um, to help have a strong second tier market, but then to be able to identify some of those second tiers to bring them to that prime tier level mm-hmm. uh, has always been the challenge. It's been for me sharing with my counterparts in this market when we're booming like we are is also one of the difficulties because, you know, we all have goals, internal and external client goals that we're trying to meet. It's slim pickings. So feeding that pipeline, starting in the high schools, uh, our youth engagement programs that we all have to entice. I mean, construction is not sexy. Michonne and I are the sexy. You guys do bring it. Construction in itself is not known as an industry with safety standards, things of that. People don't tend to really look at it as going into it. But talking to our youth and our minorities and letting them see, you know, we talk about the expense of college and kids that don't go on. Entrepreneurship in our industry is huge. Having that legacy, when you look at a C.D. Moody and an H.J. Russell and the yep. history of their companies and now that their their children have now taken over the firm and, and mm. their grandchildren will be, that's what we're trying to portray to the younger generation that you get this skill set and it's not just a living wage. You're now a business, a thriving right. business that you can leave, you know, for your for your your children, your family and beyond. So it's it's for us. The challenge is. is feeding that pipeline and then growing the current group of firms that we do have to that prime tier level. And and a lot of them don't don't want to do it because there's a lot of risk involved. You know, we talked about a living wage, right? And then the other thing that we always want to try to work on is closing generational wealth gaps, right? And by creating those firms and being able to pass them down, we help close that generational wealth gap too, which is an exciting thing. And I absolutely love that. I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about supplier diversity is seeing how it can help do that, help to bring people, you know, again, to the living wage, and then start working on generational wealth. That is an exciting thing to see. Yeah, um, I agree. Just to piggyback, I agree with everything Teresa said, um, and she's 100%. I don't want to repeat what she said, so I'm going to add to it. There you um, go. Uh, some of the things that that I believe is we've still got some barriers to remove. Mm, okay. So in, in my position, I, I try to figure out how we address these barriers And lucky for me, J.E. Dunn has allowed me to actually get in the room and talk about these things um, with some of our clients. Mm. So, like, for instance, um, one of our clients, um, HCA hospitals, they do a lot of hospitals, really big, big deal. One of the things they talked about was we really want to increase our minority participation. We want to do this. And I'm sitting in a room and I go, get rid of your lowest bid requirement. Mm -hmm. Uh 
and, 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 and that is everybody thinks like, oh, but it ought to be done and competitively and this, that, and the other. But my thing is this, if I'm not, if I'm going out in the street with a bid package, mm-hmm. if I can go out on the street and say, I want to put, I'm looking for 20% participation on this plumbing package. Cause I know there's a ton of plumbers here. I'm mm-hmm. looking for, and I'm not saying setting, just setting some random goal. Cause I hate that. I want it to be targeted and based on the marketplace for wherever you are. So the goals that work here in Atlanta aren't going to work in Chicago or anywhere else or whatever. So so we need to figure that out. But how good does it look when you've got a a developing part, a partner, a client partner to work Mm -hmm. with it? That's the only way it really works. Mm -hmm. So when we go out there, you know, and and this is the way I explain it. It's like if I've got I've got two companies and they're all going out to buy supplies and I've got one guy who's buying for five jobs um, and and I've got another guy who's buying the same supplies, but for one job, who's going to get the best price, guys? The five mm-hmm. guys, right? The five jobs, right? And the same thing is for the 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 getting the loans from the banks. Yep. It's having you know, it's who's going to get the loan. The guy with the most capital. Come on, right? Mm-hmm. He's got more collateral. He's going to find it easier. And we're not even going to get into the racial barriers for how banks decide who they trust. Right. Mm-hmm. To, to give a bridge loan to. So we're still dealing with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why one of the things that I have been pushing in Chicago, along with several of my colleagues and for friends, and it's just happening now in Chicago, I think, finally, um, but expanding the minority program so that you don't graduate. Thank you. you. As soon as you get a new house. That's what, because then they don't want to graduate. They want to stay just below that threshold. Because what happens is that, but the thing is, is once you graduate, some of the larger companies still aren't going to work with you because I'm trying to meet my goal. And this client, this developer, this governmental agency isn't going to count you towards my credit. Because at the end of the line, I'm going to get fined if I don't create, don't meet the goal. So if I'm choosing, but the, but the issue is, and this is one of the things that, um, that that I love to see on projects is 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 if I've got like a, a CD Moody or some or or HJ Russell or some you know anybody or Powers right. and Sons construction out of Chicago mm-hmm. which is one of the most amazing companies ever you mm-hmm. get get them in the room they're ready to be on a leadership team they're not right. trying to subcontract and guess no. what they're ready right. and prepared to do it yeah. but let, get, let's give them that number one, they should be invited to the table, whether you're looking for minority participation or not. Hello. Agreed. Agreed. But in situations where where you we've got somebody who's who's looking for minority participation, give someone like give them credit for coming to the table, because guess what? They're going to bring something special to the table. They know how to build it. They know how to how to lead a team. They you know, they have all of that. They just don't have the capital to right now compete with a J.E. Dunn or a, even a, especially a Turner because they're even bigger than we are. So equity has not been achieved, man. Agreed. They're, right. they're, they're still not there. So let's meet. And our, our job, in my opinion, is to help build the marketplace. Mm-hmm. How are we creating? Creating yes. those other firms so that they can they can build up. So one of the things that we're going to be doing soon is a healthcare targeted program. Oh, we nice. want to get more. We want to get my more minority companies into the healthcare yeah. industry. We're doing the same thing in aviation. We're going to be targeting. So we're not going to just give another contractor class because those are great. Mm-hmm. But most people, if they take in Turner's, they don't need mine. Right. If 
mistake in mind, they probably don't need turners. Right. We're all kind of teaching the same types of back, basic back office support. How do we mark? Right. How do you strategize for growth? Those yep. kinds of things. So what I want to do is target those different things, those extra safety precautions that have to be put in place to work on airside projects or, right. or, or next to the NICU in the hospital while the hospital's open. Right. What kind of extra, what kind of extra plumbing um, details does it take to work in those? What kind of extra fire protections do I have mm-hmm. to put we want to be able to talk to those companies that are already plumbers in the commercial industry. You know, they're already helping with the, the high rises and this, that and the other. But let's get them into the hospitals. Right. And you know, decrease their risk by helping them be educated about how to do it. I mean, Michonne, that is such an amazing forward thinking step. And that is something I have been trying to tell corporate America for years now is we need to stop waiting for our MBEs to figure out what we need. We need to go to the MBEs and say, I don't have anybody that can do X. I'm going to train you how to do it. And I'm going to create the company. So I create the pipeline. What you're putting together, I can think of maybe one or two other programs that are doing something like you're doing. That is creating the opportunity. If I don't have it, I've identified it. Now I'm going to train you to do it. So I can create that pipeline. We've got to. The George Mentor Protege program is, well, that's what we're doing with a firm in the GM. PC. Yeah. See, yes. I love that. Absolutely That's love what that. We've got to do it. It's, you know, to those who much is given, much is expected. That's and true. We've got to give that back. And and I think all of our, our companies, I know Turner's been doing it because I was working alongside Turner doing it in Chicago. You know, all of our firms doing Gilbane's trying to get out there doing mm-hmm. it. They're doing it. DPR, everybody. And there, there's a Teresa and a Michonne mm-hmm. at, at, at many of our firms. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it might not be us, but hey, we're getting <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I've got some amazing counterparts and we're all the, the, the thing is the power is in the team. Right. So there may be ways. I mean, I'm reaching out to some of our like like for the healthcare thing I'm trying to put together. I right. reach out to some of our large and pl- larger plumbing contractors that we work with in the healthcare industry. And I'm like, I need you to teach a class. Right. Well, and the pressure's on because they know our prime tier firms, our large plumbers, mechanical, electrical, they know now mm, you can't play in the space unless you're developing someone else. And someone's and we've got to start telling them that the big thing that I've seen here um, on the East Coast that I that that I'm I'm hoping to see more of is that we're telling everybody I want to see some supplier diversity, whether we've got a goal on the project or not. Right. I want you to be thinking. I want it here. I want you to be thinking about how do we create prime opportunities? I want to work with the architects up front and say, don't draw this bid package. Right. So that we can't we can't do this. And and then. There are right. times when you need the continuity that I can't decrease the size of the bid package, mm-hmm. but there are plenty of times when we can mix it up mm-hmm. and figure out how to get, because if I'm in a prime position, I'm getting to see how the sausage is made. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm right. sitting there at the table and that's how I grow my business. Yes. See, and, so, and that, I mean, it's hard. It's so important. It's so important. And, and here's, I'm, I'm hearing you guys saying, oh yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this. Then the NMSDC is like, we've got to get, you know, we want a trillion dollars and spend with diverse firms. Great goal. Don't get me wrong. But I've never heard them come to a J.E. Dunn or a Turner and go, so how are you guys doing it? Right? And, they're, and they're, how, they're going to the billion dollar round table. And I'm like, guys, I want you to take a look. Sorry, I have a thing about the billion. No, you're right. Table. Look at the billion dollar round table. Those firms are so large that if they're not sitting there, they're not doing supplier diversity because their normal churn should be a billion dollars just in their day to day business. There's I nothing secret. I know. I just hit a I, no, You hit a nerve. With I know. Teresa about to, people because. Teresa, they're getting to the table by using firms like us. That's true. That's another good point, Teresa. 
That's another good point, right? And but are they reaching out to you guys saying, "Hey, how is how are you guys doing this? How are you creating this pipeline?" I'm. I haven't had anybody call me. No, but Probably. I did hear that they're putting together some sort of. I just heard it yesterday that NMSDC is trying to put together a construction consortium or what have you. Oh, so I amazing. heard rumor that that's yeah. happening. Okay. I mean, I would love to be a part of something like that because I think the the thing in the, the we need to be having more of these discussions and guys yep. i really want to steer us a little towards the workforce too though i mean right. okay how many roads do we go in when we say we can't find people no one wants to work and you know mm. what my, my response has come especially in this it, up and down this east coast where we don't have for in construction where where we don't have good living wages in some instances right. of any of our jobs. Let's go restaurant industry, all of them. Sure. I'm like, sure. maybe people don't want to work for the wages you're paying. Right. Maybe you exactly. need to understand that I'm having, if I take this job with you for $16 an hour, I've right. got to work another one right. in order mm-hmm. to keep a roof over my head. And just maybe my kids want to eat tonight. Right. right. So, yeah. so And I might need to go to the doctor eventually. Yeah. My thing is like, I want, like, we've got all these infrastructure dollars coming in. I'm waiting to see all of these people who are lined up for these infrastructure dollars. What plans do you have in place to employ the, and and I'm going to target it, the socioeconomically disadvantaged areas. There we go. Yes. It's a definition. It's not race-based. No. It's economic-based. It's all over the country. The government puts the map out every other every few years yep. that targets these areas. So if you define your policy based around CETA, socioeconomically disadvantaged areas, the policy can evolve as the need is created. It yep. covers our rural communities. It covers our cities, our large environment, our urban environments. It covers everything, and it also addresses those needs in those communities. We're talking about people, you know, people are worried about losing their homes and being gentrified out. They're driving past construction sites. The jobs are there. Yes, they are. Let's bring them in. Let's show them how they can make money doing this. But in order to really make that happen, intentionality is required. Thank you. You just used the favorite word of this show, intentionality. Intentionality. You've got to point it out. I don't want to ride past the construction site and not see African-Americans working. Because in in Atlanta, especially, because we Mm -hmm. make a large part of the population. I don't want to ride in. If if I'm in Texas, I don't want to ride past the site and not see Latino Americans working. Mm -hmm. I want to see, you know, we need to be drawing from those communities. And guess what? We schools will be will be better Mm -hmm. because I want my children educated. I shouldn't have to target certain neighborhoods to decide to get a good education. Yes. And, And I am a project of Atlanta public schools, loud and proud. There you um, go. And and I want to see everyone be able to get their kid educated in that same way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that starts, it's all got to start together. We give them the good education, but we've also got to give people jobs. Right. And, and and I'm sorry, if you're paying, it, we've got to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And and it's $16 an hour. Mm-hmm. No, not gonna, not, yeah. not gonna cut it. That's how we're going to feed the pipeline. Because like I said, but we've all got to do it. Yeah. Right. The engagement programming, what's going to drive me to want to do construction work? It's dirty. It's this. And if it doesn't pay, heck no. But we've right. all got to line up to do it. Because the problem yep. is, is that if we at JE Dunn decide, oh, yeah, this is what we want to do. I can't compete in the market if Turner's not doing the same thing. If Bill Bain's not doing this. That's the kind of round table 
table I want to see. Right. Is that's the construction uh, inclusion week we've pulled together. Yeah, okay. but y'all left us out of that. So and, well, we're gonna have a conversation because I I looped you in yesterday. We had we actually had a meeting yesterday, and I was like, these are the firms that we need to include that were left out for the first for the initial you, one. You see how she always has my back. I told you I'm I here love that. Teresa I love Schroeder. That brought me to Atlanta. If there we're not, go. if we don't include everybody, then we're, I mean, we're all, like I said, we're all competing for the same group of people, Yep. but we've got yep. to have the same tune. Yes. Can't, it doesn't yep. matter if my company's paying Davis Bacon wages, if all our subcontractors aren't, because right. guess, guess what? We're not self-performing a lot of the right. work. Right. We perform a few things, but mm-hmm. for the part, we're leading the charges construction managers and the jobs are coming from our lower tiers, our yeah. subcontractors. So we need them paying the, the uh, you know, whatever wage we all decide is, is required in any re- environment. And I'm not saying we have to, I'm not saying let's start off if somebody straight out of school making 50 bucks an hour. I'm not saying that. Right. You right. Know, but let's figure out what that number is because I'm not suggesting any number. Right. I don't know what it is. I'm not smart enough for that. There are accountants for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let, but let's figure out what that is. And and as a group, but we all have to do something like that in lockstep. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking as Michonne Sawyer, not J.E. Dunn Construction when I say that. So <laughs> there's the lawyer. The lawyer just showed up. <laughs> well, ladies, this has been amazing. I, if if you're not pumped up after listening to these two, oh my goodness, you guys did not have the volume up loud enough. This has been absolutely fantastic. I know I'm going to be energized for the rest of today. Um, Teresa, Michonne, thank you so much for being part of our show. Your, you. uh, yeah, your leadership, your um, subject matter expertise on here is absolutely amazing. I know I am walking away. Uh, much sharper from it. So thank you guys so much for sharing of your time and your insights and everything with us. This has been fantastic. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Goodry Reed, at Adam A. Moore, and at Teresa Schroeder and Michonne Sawyer. And don't forget my special co-host today at Matt Cocicello. You can find all of us out there on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, check out our previous show, and stay tuned for next time. Thank you all very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here, and we look forward to seeing you next week.